Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, I hope you're there. I hope I'm here. I'm doing a little experiment. I'm on a landline again. Let me know if this works. Last time I was on a landline was yesterday, and it all of a sudden just dropped me from um, from my own show. So hang on. If I disappear, um, uh, hang there, because I'll just call in on myself. This, we'll, we'll see. Okay? Um, hello. Welcome. It's May 6th. Uh, a few... Th- Unfinished business things I just wanted to put in there. Uh, I was talking yesterday about the upcoming primary uh, election, talking about how important it is, and uh, I mentioned that there is information to be gotten directly from the candidates' own mouths at the League of Women Voters website if you want to uh, actually do some due diligence about the people you're going to be voting for. Wouldn't that be an interesting kind of experiment? And then I failed to give their uh, uh, their their site. So it is vote411.com. Vote411.com. And there'll be um, a lot of information, I guess, there. I think that's what it is. Okay, whatever. I wanted to do that because I had gotten distracted. Um, and speaking of the election, I also promised that I would uh, talk about the the ballot questions. Uh, there's going to be a number of them on this ballot. Uh, two that pertain only to uh, Allegheny County and uh, three that are statewide. So just giving you a heads up because Two of the three of the statewide ones are a ridiculous power grab by the Republican legislature to diminish the authority of the governor. Now, believe me, they wouldn't be doing this if the governor was a Republican. (laughs) I don't think, but who knows. So those are questions that ask if the Constitution of the state of Pennsylvania should be changed to increase the power of the General Assembly to unilaterally terminate or extend a disaster emergency declaration, which is, of course, done by the governor. Um, And they actually say in the question, thereby removing... uh, well, never mind. It's all, it's all a bunch of gobbledygook, gobbledygook, gobbledygook. The, 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 you want to say no. <laughs> no. Shall the Constitution be amended? No. Because that means that the governor will be able to act, as an executive should be able to, uh, quickly uh, regarding all the state's departments to respond to uh, a crisis for as long as it lasts. This is all a direct result, of course, of the Republicans feeling that the uh, Wolf administration overreacted, overstepped, uh, 
in his response to the pandemic. And, you know, for the Republicans to want to settle a political, totally political score by amending the Constitution is, again, it's just a bad idea, which is the only ideas they have. And the only times they rouse themselves to, you know, write up anything like legislation or this is to diminish the power of another branch and to aggrandize their own power, because that's what Republicans, that's what they do, and that's what they know. And the second one is, shall the Constitution be amended to change the laws, yada, 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 a disaster emergency, yada, yada, yada. It says that um, if you vote yes on that, you'll be saying that after 21 days, any declaration of, uh, of emergency will automatically stop. <laughs> so how would that, does that make any sense to be in the Constitution that, you know, all emergencies essentially um, must be ended in 21 weeks? Tell that to, uh, you know, Mother Nature. Tell that to a virus. What, what, it, it's insane. And uh, you vote no on that, obviously, because that then will continue to allow a governor to respond to a crisis that dares to last longer than three weeks. <laughs> I, Republican freaking stupidity is, is just beyond me. Then there's a third uh, amendment proposed to the state constitution. This one is clearly a yes vote. It is this, shall the Constitution be amended by adding a section providing that equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged because of an individual's race or ethnicity. I know you're thinking, what? That's not in our Constitution? Apparently not. So, yeah. Let's update this archaic uh, constitution in this regard because it will allow that basic protection uh, for for uh, human beings' uh, inalienable rights, uh, no matter what that person's race or ethnicity. I mean, duh. So the ones having to do with uh, states of emergency and the power grab, no, 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 and you know, should the law be uh, amended to include race and ethnicity? Uh, sure, yes, okay. The two ballot questions that only Allegheny County residents have to deal with are both yeses. I mean, yes, 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 here they are. Shall the Allegheny County Code that deals with the jail be amended to include a new article which will set forth standards governing conditions of confinement in the Allegheny County Jail. Um, a no vote means nothing will change. It will be as is. A yes vote would prohibit solitary confinement, except for limited circumstances. 
and says solitary confinement is not to be used as punishment. It prohibits the use of chemical agents or leg shackles. And it also says that the warden shall prepare a monthly report regarding use, any use of solitary confinement and uh, lockdown. I think that's such a clear yes. It's, well, I can't imagine anybody voting no on that. It's cruel, solitary confinement. These things are cruel. And the second is, shall the Pittsburgh Home Rule Charter be amended and supplemented by adding a new article regarding powers of the Pittsburgh Police, which shall bar employees of the Pittsburgh Bureau of Police from executing warrants at any resident, at any residence without knocking and announcing themselves? That means it would be illegal for the police in Allegheny County to bust through your door. Now, if somebody busted through most people's doors, they'd assume that they were being attacked, right? And one can see how they, if they're a good gun-owning gun American, uh, might shoot to protect themselves from these invaders. Um, to me, these no-knock warrants are a real danger for the police themselves because, as I said, we're a trigger-happy nation. I think uh, busting in on someone's house would make uh, even somebody who's not trigger-happy grab for a gun if they got one. So anyway, I yes, uh, there is no reason for this uh you know, this SWAT-like crapola, seen too many movies, policing. It's got to get under control. And those are two opportunities that Allegheny County voters have in this primary election, which is just wonderful. Okay? And uh, that's all I want to say about that. Tons of judges. You're probably seeing a lot of signs in people's yards. There's so many names you can't even see straight. I would suggest doing some work. If you get like flyers in the mail, actually look at them, but be be skeptical. No, they're they're all a kind of propaganda. So do a little do a little homework and then if you're going in to vote, make up a list so that you can remember because all of these names are just, you know, it's mind boggling. Okay? That's my suggestion. My ballot's right here, and I still haven't uh, cracked it open because it's such a big ballot. Yike. Okay, enough election stuff, I think. Hey, I learned something today reading the paper that I didn't know, and I love any time I learn something I didn't know, and I always want to pass it on excitedly. Did you know? Did you know that? And this has to do, and some of you obviously will know it, but I didn't. And I'm going to assume there's others like me out there, so I'm not totally wasting everybody's time. This has to do with the fact that it is uh, 200 years since the death of a certain historical figure who had a huge impact on uh European history, and that is Napoleon Bonaparte. 
he died 200 years ago. And so in France, this calls for, you know, uh, speeches, uh, celebrations, commemorations. And what I, what it, what is happening though is that what I've learned is that France is undergoing the same kind of debate and uh, attempt to come to terms with their history, the unpleasant aspects of their history, and Napoleon uh, figures largely in, in that. And here's what I learned that I didn't know. So after they storm the Bastille and there's the French Revolution, that revolutionary government made slavery in France illegal. So not long after our Constitution has been drawn up and ratified, making slavery perfectly fine, the French, who had a revolution just a few decades later, right? They, I said right. Uh, they did the exact opposite and made slavery illegal. And then Napoleon comes in. And he did something extraordinary. He did something that no other country has ever done before. Thank God. He, in 1802, just eight years after slavery had been abolished, Napoleon reinstated it. France is the only country to have ever done that, abolished slavery and then thought, oh, you know what, I don't think that was such a good idea, and reinstated it. And that was on Napoleon's watch. And Napoleon championed that. And then France didn't abolish slavery again until 1848, again before us. But And so the French, too, are trying to come to terms with their history. Napoleon was a huge figure in, in their history. The uh, school system they have now, uh, much of their government, the, the, the judicial system, the legal code, it's all from him all Napoleonic era, and it's not something that they're ashamed of. They, they think it's fantastic. So like so many of these world-changing leaders, he was obviously a very complex character. And the current president, Macron, having to navigate this 
was rather critical and more critical than uh, a president has has been. He spoke of uh, um, Napoleon's uh, reinstating slavery as he used the word "fault," which is which means more than a mistake, more than a oops mistake. It, it's it's closer to, I mean, a real moral offense. And he also said this, Napoleon, in his conquests, never really cared about the loss of human life. I mean, so many died during his imperialistic wars. And Macron said, since then we have come to place a higher value on human life, whether in wars or pandemics. I don't know if that's true. On the other hand, the person that is going to be challenging Macron uh, in a year's time when he must stand for re-election, the ever, ever-threatening presence of Marine Le Pen, the right-winger. She's got no problems with Napoleon at all, not surprisingly. And so while Macron is dissing Napoleon a bit, although he laid a wreath on his tomb, okay, so he's walking this fine line, uh, Le Pen marked the 200th anniversary of Napoleon's death with long live the emperor. Good God in heaven. And I'll, I'll leave you with just one more thing from the French president, Macron, uh, trying to deal with the reality of Napoleon. He said this, eagle and ogre. Napoleon could be at once the soul of the world and the demon of Europe. So there you have it. I thought that was really interesting. I did not know. I, I knew that they, the French are, you know, wrestling with their past. Every country should. <laughs> we, God knows, some of us are. Um, it's, it's a good exercise and it should be a constant exercise to live in uh, a kind of uh, reality, right? This is where we've come from. This is what we did. This is how we'd like to do better. It's how things move forward. But they don't move forward if you don't acknowledge the reality. And they don't move forward if you have Republicans in charge. Because Republicans don't believe in moving forward. They just don't. They prove that. And I'm going to prove it again right now. Something that the great state of Texas and its repulsive legislature, the Texas State Senate has just voted along party lines to allow people in Texas 
carry a gun without a license, without a safety course, without a background check. So in this time when we are seeing uh, a epidemic of mass shootings and gun violence in this country, Republicans' reaction is more guns. That's been their reaction from day one. Has it made us safe? I'm just asking. Um, uh, 20 years ago, were there as many mass shootings as there are today? I mean, as Republicans continue to push more guns, more guns, with l fewer restrictions, they think that's going to make us safer? It's going to result in a lot more dead people. It's extraordinary. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick hailed the passage of the bill as evidence of Texas's strong support for the Second Amendment. Yep, this affirms every Texan's right to self-defense. Wow. Incredible. So, there you have it. If you want a gun, you just go pick one up. Walk around waving it in public. If you're a black man, don't do it because you're dead. But a white guy, this is for white people. All these laws are for white people. Unbelievable. Oh. Are we getting the cicadas? I keep reading all these stories about the cicadas. The cicadas are coming out. The 17 years. I don't know if that's uh, here. It always seems to have a certain geographic area. But I swear I read today, there's a whole section in one newspaper about how to cook them. Oh, <laughs> God, I'm sorry. I mean, in, there are cultures that already do, uh, you know, eat cicadas. They are apparently uh, pretty good and a great source of protein. But in our culture, we have not been known to eat insects. And so we have this sort of cultural revulsion. But if you can get over that, um, apparently cicadas are uh, <laughs> are like potato chips. Crispy, salty, crunchy. I mean, you can eat them with or without the wings, uh, with the heads or decapitated. Um, and, man, there's, like, you know, recipes. You can roast them, fry them. You can turn them into powder. Now, that might be the way to go. And then sprinkle them. You get the protein that way. Uh, I don't know, but there's a heavy duty, uh, yeah, Ooh. Ooh. here's a woman, I have two little boys and they really like bugs and insects, 
I've been slowly getting them very excited about the cicadas coming out. Uh, I want them to catch the insects themselves because that'll be fun. And then I'll probably roast them up with a bit of salt, pepper, maybe some chili, make some eggs, grab some tortillas, make some cicada breakfast tacos. Mm-mm. You can also saute them in butter with garlic. You can marinate them, you can roast them, you can toast them. You can dip them in chocolate. And there are whole books written. Cicadalicious. That's a cookbook on how to eat cicadas. Oy. So there you have it. I, I wish I weren't so squeamish. I mean, I'm squeamish around insects in general. I'm, 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 um, I don't like to kill them because I'm squeamish. I, but, and I'm, I'm in awe of them the more I learn about them. But I, I do have, you know, a, I think a very common human reaction of, yeah, <coughs> because they don't look like us. It's like my brother, who is now full-on vegetarian, will not eat. And this all has to do because of his love of animals. <coughs> um, he was always a serious carnivore. But as he aged, he just couldn't anymore live with the reality that he was eating a creature that if he saw before it turned into meat on his plate... He would want to hug or pet or play with or, you know, marvel at. And he just couldn't bear eating them anymore. But he hasn't, he hasn't widened the net, pardon the pun, to fish. So he's eating lots of fish. And he knows full well that the reason he's still eating fish is because they're not mammals like him. And it's the mammals he can't eat. It's just too close to home. He understands that they have emotions and they have souls. And he can't. Fish, he's not so sure. But, of course, that's bull. And I I told him that. That's bull. I said, and if you really sort of continue, and I can see why people end up not being able to eat anything. Because now we know that plants have feelings. And, I mean, we don't even comprehend what's going on in a plant should you eat a plant. But at some point, you got to eat something. That's, I, 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 I don't know. And I feel bad that, obviously, I don't have – I'm more of a carnivore than, than my brother. I have the same love of animals, but obviously I don't because I can sort of shut – the animals out of my out of my conscious mind when I'm craving a steak. It's true I don't do veal because I I just don't. If you ever read about how these animals are treated and how it, it, it does it is hard. And I think vegetarianism will be the norm 
in another generation or two. Uh, climate change will drive that and our response to that. So you carnivores, get it in while you can. I'm telling you, it's going to get pricier and pricier and rarer and rarer. No pun. Although I do like them rare. So, just saying. Liz Cheney, who's about to be exiled by a party that has decided to, it just, it really is astounding, isn't it? Isn't it? That an, to watch an entire party decide to throw in its lot with a known liar of such, I mean, pathological liar and narcissist and the parties abandoning any principles they had. And they did have some. If you want to know what they were, you should read Liz Cheney's opinion piece, uh, which was printed in uh, today's Washington Post. Because uh, this is a real Republican. What used to be a real Republican is not anymore. And she is about, yes, to be booted. She makes very clear that Donald Trump is a clear and present danger to our democracy. If you haven't read it, I'll read the first little bit, okay? In public statements again this week, former President Donald Trump repeated his claims that the 2020 election was a fraud and was stolen. His message was, I am still the rightful president, and President Biden is illegitimate. Trump repeats these words now with full knowledge that exactly this type of language provoked violence on January 6th. And, as the Justice Department and multiple federal judges have suggested, there's good reason to believe that Trump's language can provoke violence again. Trump is seeking to unravel critical elements of our constitutional structure that make democracy work. Confidence in the result of elections and the rule of law. No other American president has ever done this. The Republican Party is at a turning point. And Republicans must decide whether we're going to choose truth and fidelity to the Constitution over Donald Trump. She says, I am a conservative Republican, and the most conservative of conservative values is reverence for the rule of law. Each of us swears before God to uphold our Constitution. The Electoral College has spoken, more than 60 state and federal courts, including multiple Trump-appointed judges, have rejected the former president's arguments and refused to overturn these election results. That is the rule of law. 
That is our constitutional system. And then, you know, she goes on to speak to the, her fellow Republicans. Is this the way you want to go? She says embracing or ignoring Trump's statements might seem attractive to some for fundraising and political purposes, but that approach will do profound long-term damage to our country and to our party. So she goes on. I mean, this is... And what she has said is the truth. But the Republicans will not hear it. And that's a frightening thing. I know. I keep I'm becoming Johnny OneNote on this. A frightening thing. She goes on to say there has to be a full accounting of what happened. January 6th. And there has to be um, a commission that reviews what happened and no serving member of Congress can should be able to participate. No politicians. She said we should appoint former officials, members of the judiciary, prominent Americans who will be objective And then she talks about, my God, don't you see? You're throwing in your lot with a totally anti-democratic cult of personality. History is watching, says Liz Cheney. Our children are watching. We must be brave enough to defend the basic principles that underpin and protect our democratic process. I am committed to doing that, no matter what the short-term political consequences might be. Well, she knows what they might be. She's, she's toast. I guess it's conceivable that the voters in her district will re-elect her, although it'll be an all-out effort on the part of Trump to not let that happen. But she is about to lose her leadership position to a full-on Trumpian. Unbelievable. Or not. Her article does, by the way, take some shots at uh, Democrats. And the, the shot she takes, and it shows in a way, I think, how vulnerable we are to this part of the Democratic agenda. And uh, she says this, there is much at stake now, including the ridiculous wokeness of our political rivals. Okay. That's the first thing that she chose to cite um, because Republicans from 
principled Republicans like her <laughs> to unprincipled Republicans like most of the rest of them all know that this woke stuff, this what they wrap up as cancel culture and all this, that it is costing the Democratic Party uh, a lot of votes. I mean, have Democrats uh, done any uh, autopsies, as they say, um, after the last election? I know it was wonderful. Trump got defeated and Biden came in. But other than that, Democrats lost, right? Lost House votes, tons, tons of House seats. And in those smaller districts, the House seats, one of the ways we lose voters is we lose those moderates who just can't take any more of the self-righteous, preachifying, uh, virtue signaling, uh, left stuff. And you know what? I'm not far behind them. It turns me off too. There was a interesting thing in, um, a part of the Sunday New York Times I like. It's, it's a column called Social Cues. And the guy who writes it is just, I think, really smart, good person. Um, he's gay. He's definitely progressive. But people send in, you know, problems. And what is, what should I do? And the, one of the letters this last Sunday I thought was really interesting. Because it was from somebody who said that he works at a company that now um, asks all of its employees in their email signatures to put down their preferred pronouns. I mean, you're getting a lot of stuff like that. You know, I, I know I do. Uh, so it, it, it says your name, your how to, you know, your email, maybe your whatever other accounts, and then it says preferred pronouns, and then you get to put down, you know, they, them, he, she. Oh, you wouldn't put he, she. <laughs> well, maybe you could. On Mondays, I'm he. On Tuesdays, I'm she. I don't know. But that. And I m- must say that when that started up, my reaction, maybe because of my age, was sort of to groan. Oh, God. Okay, fine. So this guy writes a letter to the New York Times saying, I'm, you know, this is what my company is doing. And he says, I'm in sales. And I send out hundreds of outreach emails every week. And today, somebody I thought was going to be a potential customer uh, emailed me back saying, not interested. And when the guy approached him, said, why? He said, I'm turned off by this unnecessary pronoun thing. So that is a a customer that was lost to the business who had that reaction of, oh, come on. And that guy will go to somebody who sends him a 
sales pitch that doesn't have my personal pronouns are. Okay, so he writes this letter. And he says, this makes me wonder about the risks and rewards of my company's policy. My email signature isn't going to suddenly make someone more welcome to non-binary people. But others may be turned off by it. And, and I don't think leaving off my pronouns would offend anyone. Am I wrong? is his question. And the guy who's so smart answers it in a way that blew me away, something I had never thought of. I didn't even follow it at first. He said this, you and I have different concerns about your firm's policy here. For cisgender people, like I think most people, whose gender identity matches the sex they were assigned at birth. He says there's practically no cost to including pronouns. And I'm thinking, when I read that, I thought, what do you mean no cost? Uh, Who's it? Well, I mean, I didn't even understand what he said. Then he says this. And this is what I find really interesting. But for trans or non-binary people who aren't ready to come out, this policy is problematic. It pressures people to either out themselves before they're comfortable doing so, or to lie. Now, had you, you know, okay, so here, okay, the wokeness crowd, I would think they're the ones pushing this, and you should have your preferred pronouns under your name. And this smart guy says, hey, guess who you're potentially putting in an untenable position with that? Not the cisgendered people. They'll say, well, come on, obviously my pronouns she, her, you know, whatever. But to the person who, in fact, this is supposed to be, what, helping? It might help some But then there's others. It's a company policy that literally forces people to state what their gender identification is, which is the most personal thing imaginable. Why should a company do that? Have a policy like that? The purpose is to promote inclusivity, to let people seeing all this stuff say, oh, wow, look at that. That person doesn't have, she doesn't have she as her pronoun. Wow. I mean, part of me, my reaction is, I don't care about your pronouns. I understand I should respect whatever it is, but when when did this, I think it's nuts. I'm sorry. I think it's stark raving nuts.
I've talked about this before. But the very people that supposedly you're doing this for, the woke left, this guy, who's part of the woke left, says you're putting the, the, those very people into a real difficult situation. And then, just to annoy more of you who disagree with everything I'm saying there, I'm going to quote James Carville. James Carville, you might recall, the uh, he was Bill Clinton's... Uh, did he head the campaign? Whatever. He's a political operative, as you know. Good Southern boy. Smart, caustic, funny on occasion, married to that awful Mary Matalin, Republican. And he sees, like I do, that this wokeness, and just as Lynn Cheney in that very important historical opinion piece that was published today, It wasn't political, except for a few little lines, and the one line that she had in there went right at the vulnerability of Democrats to this wokeness stuff. I am just, for those who don't understand that this is how we lose votes, this is how we lose the Hispanic vote. They're turned off by this. A lot of people are turned off. James Carville says, wokeness is a problem, and everyone knows it. It's hard to talk to anybody today. And I talk to lots of people in the Democratic Party who doesn't say wokeness is a problem. But they don't want to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. You know, isn't that interesting? So the woke crowd has intimidated and bullied a lot of progressive people, liberal people, good people, who mostly share the same politics, into being afraid to say wokeness is a problem. Sort of like Republicans. Same kind of, same kind of dynamic. Sort of like all those Republicans who have been bullied into not being able to say uh, Donald Trump is killing us. Can't say it. You might think it, but you can't say it. And nothing makes me crazier than anybody intruding upon me being able to say what I want to say. And I've said this a million times. I don't care whether that bullying is coming from my right or my left. 
Back to Carville. Large parts of the country view us, Democrats, as an urban, coastal, arrogant party. Yeah, yes they do. And you know what? We give them reason. Carville, it's damaging to the party. We won the White House against a world historical buffoon. And we came within 42,000 votes of losing. We lost congressional seats. We did not pick up state legislatures. So let's not have an argument about whether or not we're off key in our messaging. We are. Just saying. Margaret writes, what is Trump's end game? His end game is to be the center of attention and to grift because the more he's the center of attention, the more he has the capacity to shake people down and uh, and raise money. That's it. You think he wants to actually do the work of being the president of a country, let alone the United States? We've seen he does not. And we've seen that he can thumb his nose at it and not do it. He can go golfing and watch television. That's what he did. Other presidents worked themselves into the ground. He golfed and watched TV and tweeted. He doesn't want the job. He wants the perks <laughs> that come with the job. And that this awful human being could be the head of a party that actively now is paying obeisance, obeisance to him. Choosing to, choosing to stand with him, knowing who he is. Incredible. Saw a bumper sticker yesterday that I hadn't seen before. Forgive me if you have. Seems like an obvious one, but I hadn't seen it and it did make me laugh. <laughs> Elect a clown, expect a circus. Oh, Lord. Hang on. I haven't said anything about the fact that, I mean, we knew it would happen that uh, Derek Chauvin has uh, appealed his conviction. 
One of the reasons, I just want to highlight this, one of the reasons for the appeal is the defense got hold of a photo of one of the jurors, a guy named Brandon Mitchell. He's, in fact, the only juror who has spoken out publicly since the conviction. And the photo shows Brandon Mitchell, who is a black man, at the 57th anniversary of the March on Washington. That's, of course, the I Have a Dream march when Dr. King made that stirring speech. And I'm not sure when the 57th anniversary was, but it was, what, this year or last year? Last year, maybe. And this guy had posted a picture that he had been there. And would you believe that that is one of the reasons they're putting in why there should be a new trial? This juror had the gall to attend an anniversary commemoration of that extraordinary historical American moment? Here's what they're saying. All jurors, before they got chosen, were asked to fill out a questionnaire, and one of the questions said this, Have you ever, or has anyone close to you, participated in protests about police use of force or police brutality. And Brandon Mitchell answered that no. And these jerks defending Chauvin are saying that the anniversary of the March on Washington, the I have a dream speech. Now, to them, because it's mostly a bunch of black people, that was essentially a protest about police brutality. Wow. Wow. When this same juror had been asked about what he thought about Black Lives Matter, he simply said, I see it as a statement of fact. Great answer. I'm going to be all over the place here, if you don't mind. Did you see this one, a guy named John Hinkle? At first I thought, oh, you mean the guy who tried to kill Rick? No, but that was, wasn't that John Hinckley? Yeah. John Hinkle, age 39, of Illinois, did something that an awful lot of people would like to do, but never will. He bowled a perfect game. 300. But here's the catch. The ball he was using He had filled, I don't know how, 
he had filled with his father's ashes. And he took his dad bowling. He put dad in the ball and then he went bowling and damn if he didn't bowl his first perfect game. He's quoted as saying, I had tears in my eyes in the 11th and 12th frames. But those tears did not get in the way of that perfect game. How do you put ashes in a bowling ball? Through the, I mean, those little the whole finger holes? I don't, it doesn't matter. It does raise questions in my head, but uh, they're probably of, of no concern. Um, also, uh, an interesting piece, uh, I think this was in the New York Times today, about one of the things, there's all these stories now cropping up of, now that we're coming out back slowly into our normal lives, what things will you keep doing that you started doing because of the pandemic and what things will you eagerly return to that you haven't been able to do, blah, blah, blah. Well, this story is about a change that a lot of people made during the pandemic. Not me, but a lot. And that is a ton of people stopped showering every day. They weren't going anywhere. They were putting on sweatpants and not wearing bras and they're supposed to shower every day. Why? Now, what's interesting to me about this is I haven't showered every day ever. I have always considered that to be the strangest thing that people do whether you're a morning shower person or a night shower person. Actually, night shower makes more sense to me just because it is, it would be relaxing or a night bath would be a relaxing thing before you sleep. But a morning shower, for one thing, what? Did you get dirty while you were sleeping? I don't even understand that. You get out of your bed and you, you feel dirty? I'm just saying, I never understood it. Not to mention, it adds a whole bunch of time to the getting ready routine. Especially if you're a woman and your hair is involved in this washing stuff. But, I, there is no reason, first of all, in terms of hygiene, zero. And in fact, there's reason not to. A million reasons not to. Now, if you're a coal miner, yeah. If you're a person who's like working at a job where you work up a sweat every day, yeah. But most Americans don't have jobs like that. They wear a deodorant. You can always watch your private parts without doing the whole thing. And here's the other thing. You know how much water you save? 
not to mention, because it's hot water, how much energy you would save. But here's the thing. It dries up your skin. Your skin is not allowed to put out its own oils. You keep washing it all off. I'm telling you guys, stop it. Unless you really need to or unless it is so in brain, I'm so stuck in your heads, you know, that like robots, this is what I do in the morning. I get out of bed. I get into the shower. I brush my teeth. I'm somebody who's much more free form. I can't. I'm not into that. But also, there's no need. Just saying. No one throughout history did daily showers. First of all, you couldn't. But daily showers historically are like really a new thing. And you won't be surprised to hear that it came about like in the last century, well, no, not century, the 1800s, when indoor plumbing started coming in and, you know, later part of it, the last half, and people like to show off these new extraordinary bathrooms. And it was a sign of wealth and status that you could bathe every day. It wasn't necessary, but you could bathe every day. So this became an obsession right around the turn of the 20th century. People began moving into the cities. Cities were dirtier. I suppose, yeah, if you're from here and your families lived in Pittsburgh throughout the 20th century, I bet you took a bath or a shower every, every day because you were covered in soot. But mostly it was a signifier of wealth if you bathed every day. The reality is if you don't bathe every day, your skin will thank you. Your hair will thank you. The environment will thank you. Just saying. There is no reason to. So that's my dirty little secret. <laughs> I'm also one of those strange people who doesn't sweat. God. But no, no, no. My skin is dry enough as an old crone without drying it out with hot water every day because I'm supposedly dirty. <laughs> I don't get it. Just putting a thought in your just putting a thought in your heads. And I've gone over time. Hey, have a have a good uh, long weekend because I'm taking a long weekend. And I'll um, be back on on Monday. Be careful. Still, be careful. Be smart. And enjoy this glorious spring. Bye-bye. Lynn Cullen Live. 
Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.